Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Press Row. Behind-the-scenes stories from the world of sports media. Press Row. Inside and interviews from around the sports world. Now here's your host, Jonah Siegel. So it's uh, been a long time since we've taped an episode of the Press Row. Uh, that has been for a whole host of reasons. Uh, one of them, not primarily, but the pandemic being what it is and how long that it's dragged out. But at the same time, we've switched URLs. We are now at yyzsportsmedia.com. And uh, finding the right time and energy, and there's lots of cool changes coming. But we kick off today with a real special treat. I am a huge fan. Uh, you follow me on Twitter. You, you, you've read my blog for years. I'm a huge fan of Bob McCowan, John Shannon, and what was Primetime Sports. Uh, it goes without saying that Bob is and was the franchise that built sports radio in Toronto. Uh, he had the largest audience share. He had the top guests. He had the best co-hosts. For years and years and years, Bob was sports radio in Toronto. Uh, tried for a very long time to get him to come onto the podcast and was fortunate enough for whatever reason, he finally said yes. I think you're going to be blown away by his candidness. I think you'll love hearing his voice again. And his pal Shannon always has incredible insights. This is the Press Row with Jonah Siegel. Jonah here from the Press Row. Canopy Resources Limited provides IT support to small and medium-sized businesses. They offer remote monitoring, network design, and builds. Office 365, Google Workspace Management, VoIP services, web hosting, and design and more. Whether you have three devices or 500, Canopy Tech is here to be your IT support partner. Visit canopytech.ca or call 647-478-8449. Again, that's 647-478-8449 for more information. That's Canopy Tech. I use them. So should you. Now back to more of the Press Row. Here again is your host, Jonas Siegel. I am humbled uh, to be welcoming in the two individuals who are joining me for episode one here because I have followed them literally forever. And in a lot of ways, they were the inspiration for this website and podcast starting. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, they need no long introduction, but please welcome. Oh, go them. ahead. Go ahead. Give us a long introduction. No, we're, we're going to get there anyways, but... Greetings and, where, the, the greetings guys and on his phone hitting skip. The, the guys on the phone hitting skip at this point. You know, <laughs> greetings and salutations, if you will, to Bob McCowan and John Shannon. Gentlemen, how are you? Well, I'd be better if I was alone, but I I felt like I had to drag Shannon into this as my wingman. So I'm going to jump ahead to one of my questions. I actually did some research last night. John, oh God, John, are you the longest serving co-host to Bob in the? in the empire if you will well i don't think so i mean bill waters had to be i mean i've never bill waters had to be well, um, he wasn't that long john okay, what about so shaky what so about shaky okay so here's what i have Shaky was quite a while so here's what i have bob you can you guys can fill in the blanks this is from wikipedia and oh, they do a well they, then it's got to be true no right no way yeah well there's some there's some structure to it if you will <laughs> but you guys can fill in the blanks so it says that Bill Waters was on from 89 to 92. Okay. Yeah, I think that's right. I was going to say three, four years. Hunt was 92 to 93, and then you moved to mornings. Okay. All right. And then it says you came back, and he was on from 95 to 2000. Okay. We then go into the complete Wikipedia abyss, and it says that they, a combination of Brunt Shannon, Smith, and Kelly started in 2009. I don't know what happened in those nine years. I don't recall. I will say I was in Toronto. I was listening. I think, it was, a, I think it was the same grouping of those. And I think they're wrong because it has Damien coming in 2011. And he was on during that window. Damien coming back in 2000. Right. But, but they don't have him earlier. So I don't know. He was on. I came back to Toronto in 2004. Yeah. And Damien was on with you then. Was it full time? I don't know. Oh yeah, they were. They had the great face-off posters. Correct. They used to go against the Doug Gilmore milk tight posters. Yeah. 
And then Deitch, then there's another gape, gaping hole from 11 to 18 uh, when, they, when they add Deitch in 18. So, so fill so in the gaps, Bob. Come on. Well, I can't because I don't remember. But, I mean, um, I know Brunt was there for quite an extended period of time. But as with most of my co-hosts, they could only stomach being with me for um, a limited number of weeks per year. And so there wasn't really – I think – I want to say – I may be wrong on this. I'm not sure there has been a permanent co-host since Hunt. I agree. That's what like I would a guy say. that did 40 something weeks a year. Yeah. So my original it was always so, a shared kind of thing. So, so I, I, I started to show up on the round table in 1995 because okay. I, I had come back to Canada and then had taken over hockey night and had uh, over the period of time had befriended a couple of guys, Nelson and Chris Clark at the radio station. And they said, would you come on the round table? And I loved the round table. So uh, I, I started going on the round table. Then I went to work for MLS, uh, MLSE and they forbade me from going on the radio station. And then I went to work in New York. I came back and did a deal with Rogers to go radio and TV in 2009, but my contract never called for more than 24 weeks of radio. So that's what, so then well, Brunt did the same thing. Brunt was full time for a period of time. And then yeah. he did a new deal. And um, I think I, I, I want to say he did 20 weeks. He had a 20 week deal yeah. and even Deitch didn't have a full co-host deal. No, I want to say 30 weeks. Yeah, he and, like and that, that was that was when he it was he and Steven did they they did they they basically did a 20 30 split. Yeah. I, I guess the point the point, Jonah, is that nobody could stand me for 52 weeks a year. So I'm gonna yeah. say but Shannon has Shannon and I have been now been doing this podcast for what over a year. Bob, we we've done listen, we've done <laughs> 350 <laughs> years. We yeah, we've done 350 episodes of the podcast. Well, so that's like a year uh -huh. and a a third September of 2020 is really when we started. Well, there you go. So, and so, so I'm and gonna, I'm we started, by the way, we started at three a week. And then for some reason, McCowan says, I think we should go to five. And I said, you're nuts. We're not going to be able to fill it. And we have. So I'm going to say that John, you're the, the, the you're the longest serving because oh. no one else has been around that long. Um, That's depressing. So, Bob, here's my question. Though. I mean this honestly just for a second. What made a good host for you? Well, look, at you, you work with people that have invariably have different skill sets. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a process of adaptation. I mean, obviously, they've got to adapt to me. I have a certain persona and style. And um, they clearly have to be aware of that and adjust but it's the same going the other direction and each each person you you work with you try and deal with their strengths and mitigate their weaknesses if you perceive them to have those so um i mean that's really the process somebody different sitting there every day it's no different than you know we used we used to do when we were doing the radio show radio slash tv show we would have a about six guests a day. We don't do that now on the podcast. We do one guest or group of guests and we do the whole show with them. But when you've got six different guests on with six different topics, mm -hmm. you know, you're constantly adjusting um, and adapting to what those guests bring. And for us, and I think John recognizes this as well or better than anybody else, it's an, it, it is completely and utterly unprepared. There are no notes. There is no knowledge of where the conversation Shh, is going to go. Do not tell these, don't say <laughs> these things. Look at our careers are almost over, Shannon. We're, you know, we're one we're day we're boy. Well, one day we're going to die and we don't want to leave all these things out there for people to speculate on. We want to be clear about how this show works. <laughs> We have no fucking idea what's happening next is the, is the, is the correct answer. And, and, and that is not a lie. This is, uh, so we, as I said, we've done more than 300 shows, Jonah. And two minutes before airtime, 
in 300 shows, McCowan says to me, what are we going to talk talk about? about? (laughs) And then if if it's something that I I inanely say, he says, well, you're going to have to carry this one. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and I, and I, I I know full well at that point, uh, Bob will have six questions ready to go. I'll ask one and I will have said, well, I, I thought I was supposed to carry this. And then Bob asked 12 more questions. So it, 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 it really is, hey, it, it, in so many ways, it's, it's being able to hit the curveball every day, which I think, I think is fun to do. And just as importantly, I think that, that that creates an air of entertainment and fun for the listener too. Well, I think the other thing too, just quickly to interject, and I, I know John will agree with this, it is absolutely astounding how many times he and I will chat for a few minutes before the guest comes on, like he said, and we'll sort of have figured out a, a direction, a general direction of where the conversation is going to go. And then all of a sudden, click, and we're on. We go completely different direction and never get to where we plan to go. Now, there wasn't very much planning. I will acknowledge that. But it just, we, it happened, what, twice this week? Yes. Where yeah. we had guests on, and, and John remembers all this stuff, and I don't. I don't, show's over, I, I'm, <clears throat> I'm on to something else. But John remembers this kind of stuff. It happens every, not a week goes by. We don't have one or two shows at least that go, compl- not off the rails, but just go in a direction that we never anticipated. And we wind up in conversations that wind up being very interesting, at least to he and I, but have no relationship to what we thought we were going to talk about. So I'll tell you why. Because uh, I have the answer. Oh, good. And, and it's, Is it, what, what, was it in Wikipedia? No, yeah. it was not in oh, Wikipedia. Okay. I'm not, I'm not sure we care, but go ahead. No, no, you care. <laughs> um, so I'm staring 50 right in the face. So that's how old I am. And in my, in growing up, I had two things that I loved and looked forward to every day, at least two. The first was Ted Koppel put me to bed every night, no matter what the world was, what is going on in the world that day. I knew Nightline would have the subject du jour on. And when we've actually had this thing called news. And then whenever you came on the radio, whoever the news of the day in sports, anywhere in the world was on, was on your show. And what made you special and different than anybody else, and you still do it, is an innate capability to do what no one else likes to do, and that's to listen. So you'll ask a question, and somebody will answer it. And because you don't have a list of questions to get to, you actually pay attention to the answer, and that leads the discussion. And in, in my humble opinion, as I used to drive home listening to you, the difference would be... I'd be nodding my head a lot going, thank you for asking that. Or I can't believe, like, this is a classic example. You'd have Brian Burke on, and he would say, well, this or this happened, and as a result, uh, we couldn't play the guy in the next period. Mm-hmm. Everybody else would say, okay, so you have uh, St. Louis tonight. What are you going to do? And you say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What happened to him? And nobody else does that because they've got, <laughs> oh, you laugh, but it's no. true. Because so you listen, and because you don't have a list of hits that you got to get to, doesn't matter because you're paying attention. And that's why the show, in my opinion, was as successful as it was and so, is today as a podcast. So one story just jumped to the top of the line for me when you said that, Jonah. And I, maybe it did for Bob, too, but, but Bob didn't remember who we, we had. Kelly Rudy on yesterday, Bob, if you remember. No. Um, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, was the day in the studio um we had eugene melnick on and this is about two weeks after uh eric carlson's achilles has been severed by matt cook and and so we're drilling down and eugene and eugene's making stuff and he says and of course we're going to do a forensic audit on on matt cook on the event we're gonna we're gonna dig deep we're gonna do an investigation and bob and i turned and looked at each other and said what you're gonna do what and then eugene just blossoms into this story about what's gonna happen with this forensic audit we're gonna prove that it was intentional and it should be a lifetime suspension and that probably got us more news 
and more quotes in newspapers and websites is that Melnick launches forensic audit. Uh, I think of that all the time. And Eugene's become, obviously, Eugene's become, well, for, more for Bob than me, but a, a, a really great guest. Never, never or rarely says no. Um, loves coming on. Loves, I know loves listening to the show. But Eugene, that day was, that was the classic case of listening to the answer and then changing the whole direction of a conversation. The reason it works is because people are instantly made comfortable. They, they believe they're being listened to, yeah. not ignored. And, and John, you teach down at the College of Sports Media. There's tons of people who teach interview skills out there. And the one thing they don't teach is shut up and listen. And in my opinion, that's why it works. Well, I've told this story a few times, I guess, in the past. But um, before I started to do talk, when I was on, on global television doing Sportsline, um, I would get off the air at 12 o'clock. And invariably, I would go to um, my neighborhood restaurant slash bar. Not because I was a drinker, because I have never been. Um, I don't abstain, but I, I'm not a... That's not why I go. It was a social event and I'd be there until closing. And then I drive home and I turn on WGR in Buffalo and listen to Larry King. And this is Larry King when he was at WIOD in Miami, not Larry King, the CNN TV talk show host. The mutual so, radio network. Correct. Yeah. It was mutual rather than WIOD. Yeah. That's another, that's another story. But I actually learned how to do interviews by listening to Larry King. And the two things that I learned from Larry King, number one, in no particular order, listen to the answer. Because within the answer, almost invariably will come the next question. And that's how a conversation takes place. That's how you flow simply, easily, and comfortably from one topic into the next topic into the next topic is just by find something in that, that answer rather than have a preset number of answers. And as you pointed out, Jonah, you know, you go A, B, C, D, E, and there's no connection between A, B, C, D, E. They're just questions. That's an interview. We don't do interviews. We do conversations. Mm -hmm. And the second thing I learned from Larry King is, and I hope my friend Shannon is instructing his, students to do this ask the question in the fewest number of words possible yeah. well it is unbelievably difficult and i've been doing this for almost 50 years and i i have nowhere near perfected it but it is so important well so the answer to that bob is yes i do instruct them and i do it by a simple little slogan tell me the time don't build me the watch Keep yeah, it and it's but it is stunning how many people I you know. But everybody, everybody who asks a question wants to preface the question to prove to their guest that they actually know more than the question that they're going to ask. Yeah, that's the that's the that's what's occurred in our industry uh, across the board because people thought they had to fill time, and and so it becomes I'm going to tell you what, what's wrong with your defense. And, the, and the, the, your, your blue line sucks. And why isn't your left shot defenseman more using the puck more down the wall? And then, and what's wrong with your defense? Yeah, you're hundred percent right. Yeah. The, the five, there are five, the five best questions in, in interviewing are who, what, where, when, why. Yeah. They're all and, one word questions. And the other thing uh, from that perspective, and th this is actually, well, for two things, first of all, every once in a while, Bob, after a show will say, John, listen, you didn't ask enough questions. And I said, what do you mean by that? He says, you make statements. I said, yeah, I do. I make statements because I think that's conversation. But I don't, and I don't ask enough questions at times. I've, I think I've learned to ask questions. And I, when I say that, I think I've learned in the last two years to ask better questions. Um, so so that's, in, that's really important in, in all of this. What, I would, what I'd also say, though, is that the simplicity of being able to say, hold on now, I don't understand what you're telling me. It, there's nothing wrong with admitting you don't know. Correct. 
because that's conversational too. Like if Bob says something and I'm saying, hold on, hold on, what do you mean by that? There's lots of radio people or lots of TV people that say, well, I, I can't admit that I haven't done my research. Well, I've done my research. I know these people. I know what's going on, but I don't understand. And if you can actually have the, you know, the, the, the courage or the strength to say, explain it to me, uh, I, I think that ma that makes for better conversation. I used to get into a fight with a former host at the fan about this and say that the reason primetime was so successful was the array of stars. And I think that alludes to what you got to. And that is, it was your show. There's no question, but ultimately you got incredibly good, timely guests on all the time. So if you wanted to be caught up, that's what you would listen to. So mm -hmm. while people thought that you had this monstrous ego, ultimately the show was made because you brought the best out of the best guests. Yeah, but they, that, a, those two things go hand in hand though. Correct. There's a build. It's a build. Look at you, you establish over a period of time, some sort of name and reputation and the guest has, has to have some level in confidence that if he goes on, he's not going to be shredded. And even if it's, if it gets, confrontational it's with a twinkle in your eye mm -hmm. and so you build that portfolio of of people and then people talk to other people i am still astounded um the producer of the podcast are we going to reveal the producer's name john yeah sure okay it's john so john produces the show um as he has done through his entire career um and he calls the guests. It is astounding to me the number of people that we get on the show for the first time who will say, usually off the air, I I've been watching you, I've been listening to you for years. And you go, what, really? Yeah. Well, in, in fact, just to, to extend that, we, we got Bob to a new point where we, he actually will talk to athletes a, a little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit. Preferably but, old, older well, or former athletes, preferably. Right. But but we we've we've been able to put on the air four or five NHL players in their thirties, most of them from Southern Ontario, um, and they can't wait to come on. They're excited to be on, and that's where I mean we had Stephen Stamkos, Stephen Stamkos was not giddy but he was respectful it was hey bob it's great to see you again same thing with nick felino same thing with jason spezza all these guys and we we have two or three guys lined up in the next month or so the same way that we oh i i really want to do it. i can't do it today but i want i want to, i want to do the show and it's all because of you know what, what what you've talked about the aura that bob has created and bob has done bob has created an aura which is fantastic the other thing is, is that I, and this is where I think, I think it's a strength of mine, but I think it's a huge strength of Bob's is Bob knows what good radio is or good discussion is. And if at about four or five minutes into an interview and Bob's bored, we're going somewhere. We're changing the topic. We're because Bob thinks as a listener first. And I think that's important. So I'll take the cue. You had some awesome guests over the years. I, I, I've listed off a couple at the top of my head. Peter King, Dan Shulman, Bob Elliott, Bob Ryan. There's a lot of Bs here. Burt Randolph Sugar. Oddly enough, one of my favorites was your program director, Nelson Millman. Who is your favorite? Who did, when you saw their name on the, on the list, who did you get energized and excited to talk about? Well, I've had that question many times. And as I said previously, I... I don't dwell. You can't remember. <laughs> I, I can't. I don't dwell in the past at all. I just turn it off. And I'm, I'm not trying to be um, frivolous in any way. It's just the way I am. But as you were asking the question, I had a, a sense of where you were going. And I, I will tell you, honestly, the first name that popped into my mind. I'm not saying it's the right answer. Can I guess? Can I guess? Sure. Bert Sugar. Jim Brown. Oh, yeah. And partly, I mean, I think he was the greatest football player that has ever lived. I, I, I'm from Columbus, Ohio. I grew up as a Cleveland Browns fan. When I was a kid, 
in Toronto, the only games you could get principally were the Browns. So I got to watch the Cleveland Browns in the late fifties and early sixties when I was a kid and Jim Brown was it. And Jim Brown came in studio when I was do actually doing the morning show, not, not primetime. And I got an hour in studio with Jim Brown. And then at the end of the interview, the end of the hour, a casual chat on the way out the door. And I said, well, what do you got planned for the rest of the day? This is like 10 o'clock in the morning. And he said, well, nothing. I'm not leaving till tomorrow. And I said, well, I knew that he played golf. So I'm a golfer, member at a club. I said, well, if you're not doing anything, you want to play golf? I'm going to play golf. He said, yeah, sure. Got him rental stuff, drove him up there, and then spent four or five hours in a cart with Jim Brown, just the two of us. Well, I'm like a kid in a candy store, you know? I've got this not only great former football player, but political activist, actor, you know, all the things, and lots of negative stuff in his personal life that was alleged. And I got, I got all this time sitting here with this guy. It was, it was memorable. Mm -hmm. Second one that would come to mind would be Bear Bryant, Paul Bear Bryant, the former head football coach at uh, Alabama. Um, and I won't go into all the details of that because it would take too long, but those are two. Well, and then Muhammad Ali. And the Ali thing was really interesting because that was like late seventies and the show had very little traction. It had really just started. It was on at 10 o'clock at night, 10 to 12. And through a series of circumstances, I had met Ali and for whatever reason, he liked me and Ali would call me. He would call, he lived in Chicago at the time and he would call into the show about it once every two weeks. And a guy, the guy who produced my show back then, which I'm, I'm guessing, Joni, you know, and I know John does, was Mark Askin. Yep. He was the producer of my show. And I can remember distinctly Askin coming on the intercom and saying, Ali's online too. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine, like, how cool that is? Mm. And so we go on and we sometimes it was one minute. Sometimes it was an hour. You never knew with Ali. What did he want to talk about? What did he want to say? So those are the three that kind of pop out at me. The station moved from Holly down to, down to Roger's place. You were the constant, no matter what lineups got changed. And under Nelson, there wasn't a whole lot of change. But it nope. came later. And two characters entered from the outside, Andrew Crystal and Dean Blundell. Mm -hmm. Neither of them lasted long. Nope. In, in your expert opinion, why not? I like both guys. I say this with great affection. Andrew's one of the weirdest people I've ever met. He's out there. Uh, but we talk. We still, to this day, we talk. And Blundell, I haven't talked to Blundell for probably, I don't know, nine months, a year. But I still chat with him every once in a while. Um, I don't have the answer to that. There are people out there who will think that somehow I undermined them, that I had some level of control. And I think John will tell you, I couldn't have been less interested in what other people were doing. I mean, sometimes I got frustrated by it, but I didn't care. You know, uh, I helped people like Crystal get on the station because I thought he had talent and he did. Well, and he, he does, does have talent. He does have talent. Huge talent. Yes. Um, I guess, and I love him, but I, he has some issues and, um, that those reared their, their heads and Blundell. I don't know what happened in the morning with Blundell talented, talented guy, but, um, it just didn't work out. And, and I see more, I've seen more of Blundell since he left than I did when he was there. Cause you have to understand we're working at opposite ends of the day. And even though we, we work out of the same studio, we never ran into each other. Never. So the answer is, I don't know. But I can tell you, honestly, nobody sought my opinion and neither did I give it on, on anybody else. So two guys who are no longer in the building anymore struck a deal to land Rogers the exclusive contract for the National Hockey League. 
knowing, thing one and thing two. Correct. No, knowing where we are today, did that effectively kill Rogers Media? I think it's a better question for John. I'm asking, both, I'm asking both of you. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think it did. Um, and, and actually, um, Jonah, when you, when you think about the process that occurred between the bidding rights between Bell and Rogers and the National Hockey League, um, all the guys that were involved on the Bell side that lost the rights, they're gone. All the guys at Rogers that bought the rights are gone. They're gone. There's only two men standing, and that's Gary and Bill. <laughs> the guys that got the money are the only ones left. Um, so I don't think, I mean, Rogers, Rogers Media, the, the challenge of, it, of the hockey contract coincided with where the business of broadcasting was going in our country. And, you ha and, and the evolution of this, the evolution of the, the web, the, 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 the evolution of over-the-top programming. It all, it, it was a confluence of so much. And it's easy to look at the, the hockey deal and say, well, they spent too much, uh, you know, and, and it, didn't, it didn't work and it, or it did work. So I don't, I don't think it was, I don't think it was the, if Rogers Media, I don't think it was a cause that made Rogers Media disappear or hurt them completely. Um, the business is different now, even in the seven years, the business is so much different now on how people watch, what they watch, how they watch. I mean, a year from now, we could be saying that the hockey deal is the greatest thing since sliced bread because of sports gambling. It, it might be become the greatest thing if people know how to use it. And that, and it's so the deal, the deal with that Rogers did, I think was a good deal. Did they execute a plan that worked? Did they execute a plan that worked is, uh, I think, a better question. And Bob and doesn't agree with me, so. No, I don't. I totally disagree. It was a horrible deal. And it was a deal. And, and look, these are two guys that were, one is one, was, I mean, he's been living in England for six or seven years. So Keith Pelly, I don't know whether I still call him one of my closest friends because we don't talk very often anymore, but we used to. And... Um, have been involved in each other's personal life to the point where I would call him if I had an issue with business contract, whatever, when he was negotiating to stay, whether to stay with the Toronto Argonauts or not as their president, I went to dinner with him and the co-owners of the Argonauts. So we were each other's consigliere for lack of a better term. And then Scott Moore and I had this, love-hate relationship that I think still can uh, exist today. You know, one minute we love each other, the next minute we hate each other. But, but, but everybody's moved to the same part of town, so it's okay. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, um, uh, the deal was horrible. But the deal was based on, on a, a flawed premise. And again, I know this because of my relationship with Pelly. And the premise was, if we can get a million dollars or a million viewers for a Maple Leaf game, we can get 7 million viewers if we have the rights, if we show all of the Canadian team's games. And we can get 250,000 or a half a million viewers for all those other games. That there is an insatiable appetite for hockey in Canada. And, and my friend Shannon has spent his entire life uh, respectfully around yeah. hockey and yeah. loves the game mm -hmm. and defends it constantly. And I am, I'm the anti-hockey guy. I respect it, but I, I, I constantly point out its limitations. And that's where Keith failed, is that you can only get 1 million viewers for an NHL game on Saturday night for one team. And then you're going to get slightly less for the Montreal games, and you're going to get significantly less for Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, and Winnipeg. And, and there is a limit to how much hockey anybody will watch. And then there's an, a huge overlap. So the guy, one of the 500,000, let's say, that would watch the Canadians would also be one of the million that would watch the Leafs and one of the 500,000 that would watch the Canucks. So they aren't different people. They are the same 
guy that you're just getting over and over and over again. And as, and then, and then you get into the economics, $5.2 billion. It was unrecoverable. Rogers went out and put a package on the street that was so obscenely expensive that big time advertisers who salivated at the opportunity to be on hockey night in Canada went eek, no thanks. Mm-hmm. They, I don't know whether they got arrogant, overestimate. I know they overestimated what the value was. Well, they thought Keith coming off the Olympic run. I, I truly believe that they, they could charge Olympic numbers on a weekly basis. And you can only charge Olympic numbers for 17 days, not for 17 months. And 17 once every weeks. four years. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So that, uh, there, there is some truth to that. Uh, the only, there's one positive about the, about the deal, Jonah, that doesn't get reported enough. It's in Canadian funds. It's not in U.S. funds. Well, hell, if I'm spending $5.2 billion, I mean... Now they over five point two billion dollars, twenty cents well, on a, the dollar. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. I, I acknowledge <laughs> that. But even you know, even at that, they they've never made money. And and the and the company, quite frankly and justifiably, has lied about it. But the the conservatively lose four hundred million a year. And 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 to what end? No, that's that. They don't lose four hundred million. Yeah, they do. No, they. Oh, don't. yeah, they. Do. I mean, they well, don't you, pay. You can, they don't. you can argue that all along. I but just if did. you if you bring in production cost facilities, all the things that they have done over the years, and you take a look at the bath that they took on advertising rates, the bath that they took, and also take a look at what they originally started with in terms of people like it was <laughs> you had a cast of thousands they had yeah. they flew guys into toronto first class put them up on hotels per diems this that and the other thing and paid them a boatload of money and then put them on an airplane the next day sent them home and three days later brought them back like they spent money like they were they had a printing press in the basement which essentially rogers does they do have one of those it's called um, Rogers Cable and Rogers Mobile. But no, oh, they lost crap loads on this thing. And of course, they're not going to admit it. And they don't have to admit it. If you're a Rogers shareholder, go and look at, at the information in the annual report. And it's buried. And I mean buried, but it's there. Hmm. So when you got the unfortunate news that you were being exited, well, unfortunate, perhaps for you. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm being kind. When when you got the news, one, if you can share, who gave you the news, and two, what did they tell you? Uh, well, it was in the head head of Rogers Media, and uh, called me in, and uh, I don't even remember what he said. Some, you know, we're not going to renew your contract, and I was halfway. I was only halfway through my existing contract. And they had to they had to buy me out, which I thought was colossally stupid. I mean, you can have a varying opinion on whether they should have gotten rid of me or not, and I would respect that. But when you've got somebody under contract that you are committed to pay, and you tell them go home and don't come back, and we'll keep sending you a check we're going to pay you to do nothing for 18 months and then pay somebody to replace you. Yeah. Excuse me. And respectfully, they didn't even have a replacement plan. Like I've been fired before because somebody thought somebody else could do the job better. Okay. Whether that's true or not, I get that. So you get booted out the door and somebody else comes in. And maybe they succeed, maybe they don't. These guys didn't even have a plan for who next. So the first thing they did is said, you know, we're buying you out of your contract. I said, okay. And they said, will you stay on for a month? And I went, no. What for? You're buying me out. You don't want me. Why would you want me to stay? And the month then became two months, actually. They started dragging it out. 
And I kept saying, no. So the end result was, I think I agreed to stay for 10 days to give them a little bit of wiggle room. I mean, after all, they've given me a crap load of money over the years and I didn't have anything else to do. And that's literally how it happened. And um, ultimately no regrets because I got to keep working with my friend Shani. And now instead of doing three hours a day, we do 50 minutes a day. Neither one of us leaves our house under normal circumstances. We don't have to deal with traffic, parking. Bureaucracy. Bureaucracy. uh, TV assholes who think they're smarter than radio assholes. Uh, (laughs) You know, all the bullshit that you got to go through. And I mean, John and I were about as immune from it. I, I know he would agree as, as anybody was I, I tell the couch story every once in a while and I, I should shut up. Tell the couch story, John. Well, um, so it, 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 in the Rogers building in the Sportsnet slash fan hub newsroom, there was a little corner where there was this ugly green sofa. I think it was green. Um, was it really? And I can't remember. And uh, after a while, everybody would sit at desks. And then one, one, one day, I, <laughs> I wandered over and sat on this sofa all by myself. And, and Bob walks in, as he's wont to do, about 10 minutes before the show. He says, what are you doing over there? He says, I mean, we're in the office here. We're over here in the office. So then Bob came down and sat down. And we picked up a paper. We looked at a few things. He said, what are we going to talk about? I don't know. Um, and that became the tradition of the office in the corner and no one ever came near us. Nobody, no one. I mean, there's no walls. I mean, (laughs) as John said, there, there's no obstruction. (laughs) And there we we are are sitting in the the corner and nobody would come. Do you know, do you know the history of that couch? Do you know where it came from? No, I think it got moved. I think it got moved out of a boardroom or moved out of the the uh, reception area and just got plunked plunked there. And so, and there was only two people that ever used it. Yeah, you and I, (laughs) Bob and me. (laughs) No one dared sit there. Well, there and where are you? Well, I'm I'm in in the office. See you later. (laughs) (laughs) You you kind of answered one of my questions, and that is. You appeared in a July 2000, I think it was July 2015 feature in the Globe and Mail where David Schultz reported that you were bored. And yet here you are still doing something. Is it that it's just so damn easy that you can do it from home? You can do it without a boss other than, than John? I mean, what's driving you to keep doing this? Here's, uh, look, here's one of the problems with being me is sometimes... I say things that I don't mean, and I do it with a smirk on my face. Hold on, hold on. What do you mean sometimes? Well, there you go. See, you see? Well, can I interrupt you for one second? Yeah, one sure. of my favorite McCowan stories ever, and I, and I think you know this, that I used to do some work with, with Gord Kirk, is he, he called me one day and he goes, you're not going to believe what happened. And I said, why? He goes, did you listen to the show today? I said, yeah. And he said to me, can you believe what McCowan said? And I don't remember what it was. And I said, no. And he said, we go into the break and I said to Bob, Bob, you can't say that on the air. And he took down his sunglasses. He had this gleam in his eye and the Jeez. biggest smile I've ever seen on his face. Well, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, if you're in this business, you better understand that you are essentially an actor, a character. You, it's not about, you know, we're all too boring. Shannon will tell you. I couldn't, I'm, I'm the most boring person in the world um, away from this. I created a character. I go into character. I come out of character. Home Bob is not the same guy as Radio no. Bob. Tell me about it. So um, you create shit. And, and sometimes you say stuff. And I wear sunglasses all the time. So you can't maybe see the twinkle in my eye sometimes. But you got to be careful. And hopefully you deal with people often enough and in a close enough relationship, at least business relationship, that they know that you're not really serious and, or you're not really mad. You're, you're acting. You're pretending to be mad. Some, some, people don't re- some people don't think that, though. No, and I they get, get, and I they get that. And they get hurt. 
Yeah. And they get hurt. Like Doug McLean's a good example. The old, the famous Arizona Doug McLean Tampa Tampa controversy. Well, you got mad at me because of it. <laughs> you you what you forgot? Oh, you know. I- I mean, he, he should know better. He you, should know. You, you were you were toying better. with him. You were toying with him. You were jabbing him, and he got mad. Oh, that's happened a lot. I know. If you Google Bob McCowan, the autofill on Google is fights Doug McLean. Sure, sure. That was that was one of the most famous ones. I love McLean. We all do. Well, so- I'm not. I, I never. I've never been. I mean, I've been mad at a few people, but mostly it's an act. So you enjoy what you're doing, though. That that's the you like, and, and the fact that you don't have to deal with dummy one, dummy two, or thing one, thing two. You don't have to go into an office. You're energized by this. You're having fun doing it. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not nuclear science. <laughs> it's not you know. It's not um, year three of law school with a with an exam coming up. There's no pressure in doing this. Year three is the easiest year of law school, by the way. Okay. Well, we, we've done, <laughs> we've done, we've done, the, I've done so many. I mean, how many thousands of shows have I done? It comes, it, there gets to be a point where you don't have angst. You don't have nerves. I get up. I throw a brush through my hair most of the time. Walk downstairs, which is where I am now. And sit and look at a computer screen. And, and I have to look at Shannon's face every day. Bob, That's Bob the biggest actually, trial. Bob, Bob's, Bob fibs a little bit because Bob actually does a little more research than he admits because he doesn't want anybody to think that he, he no, actually checked the standings. He did check the standings. Jonah, uh, no, I don't. Uh, yeah. See, that's, he doesn't want people to do that. So can I ask you one question then? Sorry. No, you've asked me lots of questions, but go but ahead. As it, relates to, as it relates to this, are you a sports fan at heart? No. Could I answer that quicker? No. So you don't, you I don't, watch, Oh, I watch sports and you I don't en- watch, but did you enjoy, you enjoy the blue Jays. There are things that I like. Yes. I went through my, my, or the early portion of my career and a good portion of my career watching sports. I didn't want to watch because I thought I had to. Right. And then I got to the point where I, I, as you stated earlier, you recognize there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. Yeah. People won't think less of you if you say, no. I don't know. Just don't make the stupid question and sound, you, you try to sound like an expert. Sound like you know the answer yeah. when you don't. Yeah. That's the key. Then you get caught, right? Yeah. yeah. And this took, this is a process that took a long period of time. So today, I will watch uh, a lot of Raptors games. I'll watch a lot of Blue Jays games. Right. I'll watch some golf almost every weekend I will watch curling when it gets to the briar or uh, world championships are coming up. Um, and a lot of that is because there's games during the day, right? Where there's nothing else on, but. And Jonah, he will now watch Canada's national soccer team. I will. Because he's a fan of that team. They won me. They won me over. And Erd- Herdman won you over too. So I think we get caught up a lot on labels. So when you're watching the Raptors, the Jays, golf, you're doing it because you enjoy it. You're not doing it because you have to, right? No, I, I yeah, I'm doing it because I want to. Okay. Yeah. Enjoy is another word. I, I confess to you, I, 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 I can't watch. I, I rarely watch a whole game of anything. You know, I'll sit there for 10 minutes and then I'll get up and go make a sandwich, go make a phone call, you know, have a cigarette, do something else. And then I'll go back to it. Um, I don't know whether that's after 50 years of doing this or whether that's just my nature. Yeah. Well, so I'll say, but, I, but the, but the one sport, I know John will love me for this. Cause he, when I mean, he knows what the answer is, the one sport I'll watch least of all, John hockey, hockey. Yeah. So I will tell you this as a loyal, long time listener, first time caller. Yes. Traffic is hell on the 401 right now. And Alan, no, it's ta- not. Actually, Al- no, it's not. No, Alan, it's not. the it's taxi good. driver, is driving. The, the, um, the, the, the pandemic has helped us. The traffic <laughs> is good. Uh, it is apparent to the listener where you are engaged in the topic. When the Raptors went on their run, primetime was the best it had been. 
Yeah, yeah but I you're mean, a basketball fan too, though, Jonah. You're a no, I'm not. Fan no, no, too. I'm a oh, Raptor fan. I'm not a basketball. Oh, okay, yeah. so you you were a Raptor fan. You were in, you were engaged because you wanted to be engaged too. I was engaged because Bob would ask the questions that I wanted to be answered. Well, that's you, flattering. Thank you. Well, you could, but you were asking them because the appearance was, anyways, that you were interested because that's where you went. There's no question that. That's Can so you funny. psychoanalyze yourself? Yeah, I'm. I listen. I mean, I I, I, I have a blog. I thank you, about, but I don't know the answer. I have a blog that talks about sports media. We don't need to go any further than that. Yeah. Um, By the way, Bob, you know that the, the the picture at the top of the masthead of Jonah's website is still you and me. You know that, huh? Really? But you know why? Why? Because you're reading his website on the computer at the same time. <laughs> Am I right, Jonah? Yes. <laughs> this is technology i have no understand i don't know you might as well be speaking to me in mandarin so i'm going to tell you the i'll tell you the story the story is i moved back to toronto this will be quick we, i moved back to toronto why 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 do we have to go to break and we've no. got to go to the news department or what you know well, i moved back to toronto and i start this website and the one thing that i thought would be really helpful to ought to an audience was to let them know who was going to be on prime time and who was going to be on with waters and i used to publish that and every once in a while, someone would call your show and say, what do you think of the website torontosportsmedia.com? And you would say, never heard of them. And the next thing I know, a picture shows up with you having my website up on your screen. And for all I know, the only reason you had it on the screen is it had your lineup on it. <laughs> no, it wouldn't have been because we used, our, our, line, our lineup actually was on, was, was, was on paper and it was, <laughs> it was like this thick. It was like a book. So, um, I don't know why it was up there. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. I so, mean, during the show, I'm not, honestly, if I was going to look at the website, any website, it would be for some form of information about whoever we had on. And that wasn't the format that you guys had, nope, was it? No. Nope, mm -mm. So I don't, I, I'd like to give you some really cute or insightful answer to that, but I have no idea. Yeah. But so, you caught it. And, um, it's still there and that it's a it, it's a it's a beauty it's at uh, 3 30 it's, it's on the fifth floor <laughs> studio so it's a long time ago so here john you may have a better appreciation but bob i'm interested in your opinion in my opinion there's no dumber entity in canada right now than numeris the world has dramatically changed i don't care whether we call it radio podcasting or streaming but they continue to produce a product that is completely useless um, people are still listening. They're just listening how they want, where they want, on what they want. That's right. And, and yet the report, uh, my favorite, one of my favorite McCallan lines ever, there are more, I could sit on the top of my roof with a megaphone and more people would listen to me than are listening to the competition. If you look at the ratings now, that would be the case for all the stations. Why are they not catching up to what is the modern technology? Yeah, but you're asking a question. I mean, I I could ask you the same question. Uh, the truth of the matter is I don't care anymore because we operate under, a, John and I operate under a completely different system. John and I talk about more me than John, but I know he's, he's interested. What every, not every morning, but every other morning, I'll ask yeah. you, our producer. What are the numbers? What are the numbers? Right. By the way, you know what the number was today, Bob? Was it over 700? 724,000. <laughs> 724,000 downloads this month. That is, that's, now, it, it, it's, it's an anomaly and it's staggering, but we're running with it, baby. Yeah, it's an anomaly, <laughs> and, but it's like, holy shit. Like, that's a massive number so, so, in the so podcast world. I, I have never really been a ratings guy, Jonah, because um, I, I, I've always believed if you're creating quality content, people will show up. And you'll be able to do it. The problem in the sit is is not numerous. Numerous is a symptom of the of the uh, the problem, and the problem is the traditional way ad agencies buy for their clients, and they buy. And I say this with all due respect. There's a person in front of a, a computer doesn't have to watch sports doesn't have to watch prime time the prime time lineup doesn't have to watch the thousand channel universe does the buying based on a number and it's just a computer and a budget 
That's all they do. It has nothing to do with the quality of the programming. And so the only way right now in our business, in our country, you, you can measure that is with what Numeris, you know, i.e. Nielsen, uh, that's what it used to be when we were kids, AC Nielsen, um, they, that's the way they do it. And nobody has had the balls, nobody has had the conviction, and the agencies don't have a reason to change because they may not make as much money in all of this. And that's why it hasn't changed. Nobody wants it to change inside that industry. That's Not true. our industry, their industry. Agreed. Final question. And I appreciate the, the extra time. Um, this is longer than our show, Bob. Bob, you may have to take down the sunglasses because I, I need to know if there's a gleam in your eye when you answer it. But if you could wave the proverbial magic wand and get any gig in sports media tomorrow, would you go back to a radio station? And if no. so, no. You're supposed to listen to the question before you answer. <laughs> so for the audience, he has not taken off his sunglasses and I do not see a gleam in his eye. Oh. Uh, well, I was, I'm quite confident, the highest paid media person in this country through a series of good fortune and the ability to negotiate my ass off to, to have given up that level of income was not easy. Um, so to be completely honest, I have no desire to go back. I have no expectation of going back. I do not get phone calls on a regular basis or really even ever um, saying, hey, would you like to come back? So the only caveat to know is there's a price <laughs> for everybody yeah. where you go. So, so the answer is maybe. Hmm, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, the and, and by the way, uh, just, just uh, for clarification, to protect our own partners, we are on the air. We are yeah, on, we're Sirius on Sirius XM. XM. You know, six o'clock Eastern time yeah. on channel one, six, seven, they've been good partners. You bet. So, so you, you, you gave me the no before I finished the question. All right. But then it ended up question. as a, it ended up being a maybe. So let's assume that the money was interesting enough to get you to leave the house. What show, what slot do you want? Well, I don't, I, I don't have the answer to that question. Cause I, I, I honestly, uh, I haven't spent one second of time thinking about that. I'm a, I think we are all creatures of habit. I think the best time slot for a sports talk show is afternoon drive. I did mornings for a while. I think I, I know I was more successful than everybody seems to remember, but um, that's my time slot. That's I, I was where you want to be. And by the way, Bob, the, the Bob's, and, and I'm going to say this as a listener, because I, when, when I, when I moved back to Toronto from Minnesota, um, I was, a, I was in the commute uh, working at uh, one of the networks and Bob's best hour of radio in the morning was his last hour, nine to was 10, the nine to 10 hour where he didn't talk to sports people. Most of the time and it ended up being lifestyle. It, it was Debbie Van Kiekebelt. It was, it, it was uh, Saul. It was special it was Jim guests. Brown. It was musician, right? Gordon Lightfoot in studio. You because, know, that kind of stuff. Because morning radio is more conducive for things like that. That's that to me, that made a bigger impact to me as a, a McCallum guy. Cause I was, I was one of those guys when I came back to town and what was it talking of sports, speaking of sports, what was the show? Uh, well, not when the breakfast, no, 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 no. When your first, your, your first one was talk talking of sports. Okay. So, and I would listen to it and I say, well, this guy doesn't know anything about hockey. So I'm not listening anymore. And I turn it off, but the mornings when the morning show was on, in the in the initial stages of Bob being the morning guy, that nine to ten hour was the one I looked forward to every day in my drive, in my drive downtown. 
So yeah, Bob's being a little humble about what, uh, how to do it. But th that to me was as oppressive as a job of being a broadcaster and an entertainer that Bob ever did uh, morning, noon or night. Well, I will say that- Thank you, John. I'm pretty sure you were the first radio show to bring your advertisers into the show, like Saul Corman. Uh, That's because he fed us. So. But you oh, did yeah. it, and it was yeah, good. He, it sucked was... Up, he sucked up real good. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it was good radio. It was good theater. You were the same bringing in your program director. Uh, Stern used to go after pig vomit. You yeah. went after him in a different way, and it was good theater. I will tell you that in my humble opinion, your format of roundtable is what led to the success of the current radio ratings leader, Overdrive. They have replicated that. And I think that your format in general has led to the overall success of Overdrive simply because they had to do something to not try to replicate Bob. And I think the folks who tried to be you, who tried to duplicate or replicate primetime sports failed because there's only one who did it your way. And as a listener over the years, be it on, and I was an idiot. I lived in Detroit. I used to crank on AM 800 and listen through static to hear you and Hunt. No offense, John, but I really loved Hunt as a radio. Oh, I, lo I love I Shaky. He I was, Shaky too. I don't know what he was like as a person, but him coming on. He was on a the, miserable son of a bitch. But man, he came <laughs> on with such a great personality. Hello, Robert. Like that was just, it was fantastic. Jonah, was, I'm, I'm with you. I'm it was with fantastic. You. And yeah. I hate looking back to the glory days, but I always loved your show. I think you create incredible content, whether you mean it or you don't. And I hope you keep doing it somewhere for years and years to come. Well, we are doing it somewhere. We are. And uh, we, we hope other people find us uh, along with the 724,000 a month. Right, John? That's Big so John, where do uh, we're, we're buying the billboard? We're buying a billboard. We're going to buy a billboard on the Gardner. Seven hundred twenty-four thousand this month projects to over eight million downloads a year. <laughs> if they haven't found Sign you up yet, now. if they haven't found you yet, where can they find you? I don't know. No, um, <laughs> you're asking. Do you're asking us? Well, we create the content. We don't distribute it. So it's on all your podcast platforms. How's Wherever that? you find your favorite podcast. Yeah, sure. Apple, Spotify, Google, you know, Smith & Wesson, you know, all those places. Uh, they And plus... Eaton's, Simpsons. That's right. The Bay. That's right. I will say uh, this. Zellers. Zellers. If you're here... And, uh, and, and Sirius XM, Monday to Friday, 6 Eastern. Three Pacific. We always have to get the Pacific time zone in there because I like to drive Bob nuts that you know, there's, there's a town other, outside of Vancouver, outside of Toronto, rather. I will say this. If you listen to me and you read my website, you're obviously into the business. Do yourselves a favor. Google Bob McCowan. Click on the first video. The first video is their interview with Nelson Millman. If you're it into is? this stuff, it, it, really? it is. Really? Why? Why? It, why that one? I wonder. We don't all choose, I, I don't think. All I can tell you is if you're into this stuff and you've come to me because you like this stuff, it's a must listen. It's the best hour you will listen to all year. Uh, the topics, the discussions, the inside look at behind the scenes at the Fan 590, uh, 1430 days, it's really, really good. And uh, the three of them are, are really interesting to listen to. Nelson well, doesn't get enough credit even wow. today uh, for so no, many he things. Here, here. Well, you, I'll tease it. Bob says in the interview, I'm sure he doesn't remember, that Nelson was the best boss he ever had. He was. There you go. And, he, and it was because he never, there was never a boss, uh, an employer-employee relationship. He was the guy I technically answered to, but I never had to answer to him. And I think that's the easiest way to, um, to define it. He was and a good it, leader, though. He's a good it, leader. He's the best. And, and... And that's why we are still, we are friends to this day. It's not often that you get an opportunity to be like a lifelong friend with somebody who is your superior, your direct superior. Some, at some point, that conflict is going to create at least some kind of a rift, but not with Nelson. It's awesome radio. I don't care what you call it or video if you watch it. I happen to watch it. Um, 
I would ask Bob what his favorite show is, but he, he can't remember. So I can't remember. I thank you both. This has been incredibly fascinating, interesting, and enjoyable from my, from my end. Bob, I will stop bugging you as often as I have to get you to come on. I'll now only do it once every six months. I hope you will come back. And thank you so much for doing this. I'll come back any anytime, Jonah. And uh, and I, you know, I I know I I, I had to bring in my uh, oh yeah, you know my 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 duly appointed representative John Shannon in order to mitigate um, this. But um, I know, speaking for John, we'd be happy to come on anytime you want us. All right, John, you okay with that? No, I uh, no, you have to do it yourself now. All right, piss on you then. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you for listening again to In the Press Row. Jonah Siegel here in Seattle. Thank you so much to Bob McCowan and John Shannon. They were every bit as I hoped they would be. I hope you got an incredible listening experience from it. If you need to reach out to me either to advertise or you want to be on the press row, please reach out to me at Jonah at YYZSportsMedia.com. Again, that's Jonah at YYZSportsMedia.com. Sign up to subscribe to this podcast. There'll be more coming. An exciting announcement about a potential co-host is coming soon. At the same time, subscribe, sign up. You can follow me on Twitter at YYZSportsMedia.com or on the website YYZSportsMedia. Until next time, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Press Row Podcast. You can subscribe on all your favorite podcast platforms. To contact Jonah or to sponsor the show, email Jonah at torontosportsmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.